the Board Podcast. Sponsored by the Berlin Tourism Board. This is the Port Chat Podcast. And now your hosts, James Cave, Nick Cave, Dan Hayes, Dan Bond, Mike Rimmer, and Noel Warham. Welcome, my lovelies, to the last Port Chat Podcast of 2022. We're going to be doing all the regular reviewing, previewing, and chatting all things Southport FC and beyond. I'm joined by the usual suspects, who all seem to have survived Christmas. I assume that everyone got something nice, except Bond, who we know for a fact is a permanent resident of Santa's naughty list. But luckily for him, all that coal he's received will see him nicely through the current heating crisis until spring. How are we all doing? Very good, thank you, Nicola. Very well. Very well. Uh, not so bad. I'm not quite sure what day it is, but other than that, I'm grand. <laughs> uh, did we all uh, get our stockings stuffed? Personal question. Is <laughs> <laughs> that making it in? <laughs> yeah, they'll probably, they'll probably make it in. Yeah. <laughs> Bond, what did you get for Christmas? I got the gift of going to watch a classic unboxing day. <laughs> <laughs> And a jumper, which I've not stopped wearing for about a week, actually now. So that that, that that's that's quality. But yeah, it was a good good Christmas. But I have to go and watch Everton now, which is always a a testing experience. Uh, you don't sure. have to watch Everton. Well, well, I don't have to, but I sort of just like getting like battered every week. Maybe he enjoys the misery. I enjoy the misery <laughs> of the team as the three thousand or whatever it was. So, so the last game Everton played. Um, Dan went to Goodison to watch it and stopped at our house afterwards. And um, it's hard to really explain quite just how upset and miserable he was that Everton had conceded, conceded the nice fifth minute. He wasn't a very happy man. I thought it was hilarious. I was very unsympathetic. And then, um, you know, Everton, because Everton losing is the true meaning of Christmas. He cut a very upset uh, figure in the kitchen, to be honest. But it's all right though. We've got an easy fixture tomorrow on the day of filming. We've got an easy fixture, so it'll be it'll it'll be fine. And I'm not I'm not going. I'm not gonna put myself through that misery or anything like that. I, I am. Uh, so that'll be football. Won't be the winner. Yeah. At least none of us drove up to Middlesbrough to watch our team get you know pumped, <laughs> have four get pumped past them. Yeah, yeah, that was fun. Getting stuck in the snow on the M62 on the way back as well. Yeah. Yes, I took Cameron to Middlesbrough to watch Wigan and they were on the end of a 4-1 drubbing and then we repeated it last night when me and Bond took him to the DW for another one, <laughs> another 4-1 drubbing. What we did have, despite all this footballing-related misery, we did have a very lovely evening on Boxing Day, didn't we? Yeah, we had our pod night out. I mean, they did, they did also steal uh, part of a pint off me in the Richmond. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, this yeah. is the most this is the most like Joe Exotic story I think I've ever heard in my life. This is a scandal <laughs> that was going on here. They said this glass that they poured in my pint, I was on cider. And they'd only like fill it like not to the I said, I said can you top them off? And you they were like, No, that's a pint. I was like, No, the pint's to the top of the glass. It's like, no, no, it's to where the line is. I'm like, I'm looking at this glass going, there's no there's no line on that. There was a, there was a line bond. You crossed it, and I mean, in fairness, she she did dismantle Christmas around us as well. I, I'm not sure we were the favourite customers um, in the Castrated Christmas. Christmas went, went to the bar to order everyone a drink, and, <clears throat> and you know, a couple of us were on lager, a couple of us were on cider, 
Um, you know, there's a JD and Coke in there. And Dan is quite partial, Dan Bond is quite partial to dark fruits. Um, yes. So I went to the bar, gave the order, and finished it off with, <laughs> oh, and dark fruits for the child, which I realise you probably shouldn't say at a bar. <laughs> you know, I, I, I get that now. But the, 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 I say it was going to say nice lady, but the lady behind the bar didn't nice. quite take it in the spirit and the jokiness with which it was intended and and was began furiously demanding Dan's personal details. <laughs> like, it's, it's, like, how old is he? The child? You can't have it. You can't be serving a child alcohol. I'm like, no, we take the mick out of him because he drinks Vimto. So, so on during the day, our, our drinking on the evening aside, uh, during the day, some of us um, went to uh, watch a Southport game, which feels like it's been a long time since that happened. How was that for you all? It was, um, yeah. Um, how was it, Mike? <laughs> yeah, you, you, you summed up there. Should we should we move on? It was that. <laughs> That was it. it was nice to see a lot of people that I haven't seen in a long time, including yeah. Mike. And then I got to see him twice in the same day, which, you know, is far too you much enjoyment unlucky, for anyone. unlucky person. I apologise dearly. No, it's nice nice to see a lot of people who, who I hadn't seen for a while and uh, and that side of things. Uh, and then the football started. Yeah, because uh, yeah, it, it was great to see everyone because we outnumbered Curzon in the bar before the game, maybe one to ten or ten to one or something. I think the bar was just full of yellow. It that was great to see. I think that's the only time we can ever construe ourselves as a massive club. Mm. But yeah, that was the good bit. And then the football Ashton. Yeah, we are massive in Ashton. They were very vocal. They were very vocal. I have to say, on the sideline. So they don't stand behind the goal. They have um. There's a little terrace, but in front of the bar. Which I suppose is quite useful, really. You know, shortage of distance, but they were very, they were very, um, you know, there was a good volume about them. I thought, uh, yeah, th- they have my favourite chant anyone's chanted all season. So they come out to rock the Casbah, if anyone's familiar, and chant "Rock in the Nashbar," which is the greatest chant I've ever heard. Oh dear Lord, no! <laughs> it was oh. absolutely no. incredible. So it's been to Bournemouth, fam. Yeah. So it's agreed. Mike doesn't write any of the chats. That's harsh. (laughs) (laughs) It it wasn't the greatest footballing feast, um, really. Um, I think it's fair to say um, the home side started better, probably first five, ten minutes. From then on, I would say most of the first half, we were the better side. We got the ball down. We played it round well. Um, I thought particularly the midfield, Bainbridge, Munro, looked like they were controlling the game. Um, we had long spells of possession without really creating too many huge clear-cut chances. There was one chance where the ball was headed back by Connor Woods towards Jordan Archer, and he just... It, it, it was the, the wrong angle of the 50p. It just sort of blinded up in the keeper. But um, we were the better side, and, and when we took the lead, Mike, I think you'd agree we probably probably just about deserved it. Yeah, definitely. Um, from from as you say, after we had a few uh, a few interesting, slightly scary moments at the start, we definitely uh, were pretty planted in their their half. And I think you got to give credit to Keenan Kwanzaa most of all for putting the ball into the into the box originally, gets sort of knocked down, and then it, it's a nice finish into the bottom corner. And yeah, at half time, I don't think anyone could argue that we were unjust for being one 0 up. 
it was a good finish and it was well placed it was well controlled by Nile when it would, would have been very easy to flash at it he, he placed it until the keeper got uh, fingertips to it but it was just just enough in in the uh, in the corner to, to to get past him and yeah i think we probably just did um shade the first half but i would say the last 5 10 minutes of the second half the uh, sorry the first half sorry there were definite signs of Curzon coming into the game they've been they've been dangerous throughout the first half um from set pieces set pieces that caused us an awful lot of problems and we'd struggled to deal with then the delivery was good. They were tall, physical, uh, and it caused us a lot of problems. But, but yeah, it was. Um, it, it took some good defending and also some poor finishing for us um, to still be ahead at half time. And then the second half, I thought they're going to come out strong. But if anything, it, we came out the stronger. It was almost total opposite of the first half. So they'd started and finished the first half better, but we controlled it for long periods. Arguably, we we certainly started the first three or four minutes of the second half better. And you could... We certainly had the better chances at the end of the game, although it would have been a crime against humanity if we'd have won the game. But in between that, Curzon totally dominated us. Yeah, it was it was a pretty horrendous watch. I think it's fair to say at, at times in that second half, they had time and time again they had big chances that could have scored. Admittedly, it's hard to tell how close they are when you're up the complete other end of the pitch, but absolutely, they'll be the ones disappointed that they haven't come away with three points out of that. Because as much as going into the game, I wanted three points, and I'm disappointed we've come out with only one. Watching the game, there's probably if we deserved that just by the skin of our teeth, it was a, it wasn't a very vintage performance at all in the second half. It, it was just disappointing. We just seemed quite slow after 50 odd minutes. Yeah. We had the odd chance. We had the odd penalty claim, which were soft to, to claim for. There wasn't, there, I think the referee had quite a good game in fairness as well. Yeah, I think I'd agree on that. Say. I'd agree. Um, and yeah, we just didn't really look like getting anything started. I think we were, Goal kicks and everything. When Tony Max claimed the ball, he was too slow getting it out. And I just think, yeah, we just didn't really look like we'd uh, we really wanted to win the game. If anything, it was it was uh, really disappointing. How much of that is down to twenty one days since since we last played? I mean, it's a long time. How much of that slowness and that sluggishness is down to that? Liam certainly mentioned it, didn't he? Yes and no. Yes, yes and no. I would say. It is, it is a fair point in terms of, I know Liam has always has often said in, in post-match where we don't have a game between two Saturdays, in this case, 21 days uh, between games that he, he'd rather be playing. And But at the end of the day, I guess, could you argue that Curzon were a bit tired after having to play against the National League Premier side on, on the Tuesday before that? I think, I think, if anything, it just had a bit of a Boxing Day feel about the whole game where players are honestly a little bit slower at Met possibly. I don't like to say that. I don't want to accuse the Southport team of going out the night before or something like that. Obviously, that didn't happen. But, you know, um, I think, yeah, may- maybe it was 21 days and it'll be interesting to see how we do how we do on uh, on Monday. With, uh, with... It's, it's, a sh- it's a shame, isn't it? We'd all basically said that we thought we were going to win. We all said it would be close, but I'm just a bit um, disappointed that it's just yet another draw. We've had an awful lot of draws. It's a fourth draw in a row. 
Um, and I know, yes, technically we've gone seven games unbeaten, but the last win we had was the 12th of November, and that feels a long time ago now. It feels like we're really due one. Yeah, I, I agree with you, Dan. And I mean, you know, if we just could take a step back, in terms of the lineup, we did play a different shape to perhaps what we have done quite a number of games now. Watson returned at the expense of Chris Doyle, so it meant we were probably playing with a 4 3 3 of some um of some ilk. Um Tyler Walton wasn't in the squad at all. Um and that what and he was replaced by Charlie Munro in the lineup. And I haven't seen any mention of that anywhere. Has anyone else? I haven't seen only, only in what Liam said in the interview, which was he wasn't available. There was no reason given. Okay. So yeah, it'd be interesting to see if he's involved on uh, on Monday. Um Josh Miles, the new signing who we talked about last week, he was on the bench but it didn't feature. But I think the most notable thing was um, no Cameron Mason, obviously, out on loan. But George Gowdy wasn't on the bench either. And there was an incident towards the end of the game where, it's fair to say, Tony Matt came out um, slightly, um, in a slightly headstrong fashion, shall we say, and had his um, challenge gone a little bit more awry, it would have been very interesting to see who would have ended up in goal, let's put it that way. And it obviously could have had some ramifications for the next few games. Um, to return to your point, Dan, about the freshness and all that, I take that up to a point if I hadn't seen exactly what happened in the second half countless, countless times, not just this season, but in previous season. And it's not a physical thing. It's a mental thing. All right? And what that is, we're 1-0 up. We come under a little pressure and... The, the four of you who weren't there can tell me exactly what happened. So go on, someone have a guess. I've seen it this season. Go on, man. They, crum- they just crumble. They just, no, they just... not that. And if it, and if it, if we don't crumble in those circumstances, but we we go long again. We 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 adopt a very direct style of play because it's 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 what we're traditionally known for. You, you know, this we, we've had we've had decades of talk about whether we should play it on the floor or or or, or go long. I think from what I've seen, we've played more of a passing game than I think I've ever seen a, a team adopt under Liam. And I think when they go long, there's also there's also a contention. I know it probably didn't happen because you said the referee is quite good, but they're getting broiled a bit by the referee and some of the decisions, some of them. Uh, I've seen that this season, but I mean, it probably didn't you, you know, happen a lot. I, but... I couldn't fault I... the referee one iota. No. And I think you'd agree with me on that, Mike. I thought the referee was was excellent. So, so for me, what happened was from about that point on, we went for, as a team, we went further back, further back, further back, further back, further back. And we just set up camp in our own half. Now, bear in mind, this is from about the 55th minute. The point that you both made about the long ball is absolutely correct. But the problem that you had was that we played with the wide players. We played with Walton, and we've, uh, not Walton, sorry, Watson. And we played with Woods, who've both been very much in the game in the first half. But suddenly, because the rest of the team is so much further back, they're ostensibly having to protect their fullbacks. And the the room that they had in terms of trying to join with Archer, and we've talked about this countless times, Jordan Archer's strength is not holding the ball up and acting as a pivot for a, um, for an attack. But in total fairness to Jordan Archer, the service that he got from his teammates was poor. What happened 99 times out of the 100 that was, was the ball was played out more often than not. It was scrambled out to... Jack Doyle was probably the most... 
um, frequent recipient Keenan Kwanzaa to a certain extent, or maybe one of the two midfielders who ostensibly became both holding midfielders. So picture that and you think we've got a back four, we've got two holding midfielders, then Hamami just in front, and then the two wingers. But the two wingers, instead of being up with Archer, have now gone deep. And Archer is totally isolated. And basically what happened was, was the clearances weren't hard. We didn't give Jordan Archer a fair chance to win the ball and keep it. And the ball just kept coming back. And it kept coming back and coming back and coming back. And there was some good defending. There was a good handling, a few good saves from Tony Matt. But the goal that we conceded was looking pretty inevitable. The goal we conceded, I thought, was was very preventable. Correct. Um, it looked like we just completely lost shape. We 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 lost our marking, um, but you could you could tell it was coming. Um, so I, someone went across onto the onto the onto the touchline to try and block block the cross. I think it was him army, but I couldn't really tell. But whoever it was didn't really close him down. Stood too far off the the the, the midfielder to to be of any effect really. But I think the one that really stood out was that Doyle started to come across as well, but was sort of stuck in no man's land. He was about 15 yards away from being able to help Hamami. He, uh, he wasn't marking anybody. He had nobody behind it, but he left a massive hole. So there was three attackers in the area. There was another one arriving at the in, late into the box at, at the back. Anson tried to cover the attacker who made a run for the near post. Munro was completely in no man's land, stood on the edge of the box, ball watching, not marking anybody. And Jack Bainbridge was, was sprinting back to try and get in a box, didn't get there in time. So... The only other ones in the box were Keenan, who was trying to watch the fellow arriving at the back post, which left Evans with two men to try and mark. And you know, for for all you you want, uh, for all all you all you want, you, you know, you 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 can't mark both of them. He had to Correct. choose someone, and he he went with the guy who who made a run towards the back post, and it left Barton completely free in the middle. Who I know that you've Noel certainly commented that he had a he had a good game, um, but he was completely unmarked in the centre of the box. Acrobatic volley, yeah. I don't think he took it clean because the ball no, seemed he didn't. to sort of loop up and sort of into the into the top. But it was, you know, it, it looked spectacular. But he was just completely on his own, and it just looked like we'd lost lost shape completely. So I don't really like picking fault in, in players because I think the shape of the team is everybody's responsibility. But to be honest, Doyle and Munro, you've got to ask the question of what on earth they were doing, you know, where they were stood, um, because it looked like a goal that was just conceded by. You know, people with really tired legs. It was only a few minutes after that Hamami got hooked off. Um, Oliver came on, and then and then Heath came on for Evans as well. So it 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 looked like they'd just run out of steam. But, but the biggest problem was uh, everything you said is absolutely right. And just to say on Barton, I know Marn got man of the match for them. Barton was the best player on the pitch for me. Everything went through him, and if we do not stop him on Monday, he will be the best player on the pitch again. He will run it, and far too often, particularly in the second half. He seemed to have all the time in the world to pick his head up, spread the ball, just keep it ticking over. And I'd be very surprised if Liam hasn't addressed that as a tactical point because he just ran the game. And fair play to him. And he deserved his goal. Totally deserved it. But what happened was a direct consequence of the fact that we didn't look after the ball well enough and that far too often not, we were simply handing back possession. You have to... When, when you're in that situation... And we do what you said, what both you and James have said, we do have a good passing team. Some of the football we've played this season has been excellent. But, and this is where I say it's a mental thing, 
when you're coming under great pressure, you need to give yourselves a break. You give yourself a break by putting a few passes together, retaining possession and making the opposition work to get it back. If you're putting two, three uh, balls passes together, then hoofing it long for a winger to chase or, or a hopeful ball for your number nine to hopefully win and build something like that. More often than not, you're going to come under pressure again. And that's not just physically tiring, that's mentally tiring. And the point that you make there about Hamami going out to, to the wing to cover, well, that's not Hamami's role. That's whoever should have been playing on that wing should have been covering it. And that's that's where the problems are. And I think sometimes when we come under pressure, we do regress to old habits. Those old habits of trying to be too direct at times. Whereas actually, we can all see that we have the ability in the squad. The football that we played for that 35-minute spell in the first half was superb. And as a result of that, during that time, we were by far the better side. So the question is, we need to... And that's where your leaders need to be saying, keep the ball, give yourselves a breather. Is that where our inexperience comes in then? Because they're a predominantly young side, they haven't got the experience to to realise that actually you get yeah. your rest in a game of football when you've got the ball because that's the time where you can dictate and control the play. Yes and no. Yes and no, because they've all been playing football long enough to understand that. that we're not we're not a team of 17-year-olds here, Dan. Um, you know, that it, I'll make a direct... Com- uh, you know, it's a totally different level of football here, but I'm going to co- make a comparison to the women. We play a passing game, we play a possession game. Sometimes we mess it up and sometimes it costs us. But because we play possession and we keep possession and we work, the amount of goals that we score in the last 10, 15 minutes of games is huge. And you you look at any team... I mean, Manchester City are probably the most... Um, the, the current example of that... The, uh, unlucky Dan Bond for tomorrow. Uh, um <laughs> They keep possession so well. And sometimes you look at the passes that they make and think, why are you just making those little passes? Why are you just knocking it back and forth between two of you? Because every time they move the ball, someone has to move. That is physically tiring, but more than that, it is mentally tiring. And because of that, that is why they, they score a lot of goals late on. And I just think for me, if we had, you know, our leader, we do have leaders in this team. We have some superb leaders. Jack Bainbridge, I thought, was very good the other day, and he's a leader. You know, Adam Anson, you're not telling me he isn't a leader. Good grief. The most experienced person in the team, Tony Mack, he should be saying to them, keep the ball, keep the ball. Yes, we don't have a 31-year-old central midfielder who's going to put his foot on it, but we do have players who know what to do. But for me we're still making the same mistakes and those same mistakes are costing us, which is a shame because the ability in the squad is without question. Okay. So let's have a look at the, let's have a look at the goal that we did score then. Um, obviously it was Niall Watson that got it. Um, again, we've all had chance to, to see that. Um, there was quite a number of attempts to get the ball into the box before it eventually fell to someone. I, I counted three attempts from Doyle alone to put a cross in. I mean, obviously the cross did go into the box. It just kept coming back out again. So obviously there's decent defending in there to actually clear the lines, but also it, it, it stood to a bit of persistence as well in that we weren't Correct. giving up on doing what we believe is the right way of doing it. We were, we didn't sort of revert into, yeah. um, you know, I- and it came at the end of quite a sustained spell of pressure as well, Dan, which is, is it gives greater credence to what I was saying previously in that we we put them to possession by keeping the ball. When we did lose the ball, we won it back quickly and put them under further pressure. As you say, 
they never quite cleared the ball. But again, that's exactly the problem that we came across in the second half because it kept coming back at us, but over a prolonged period. So the finish then, um, I thought it was quite a well played, a well a well taken goal. To be fair, I think it was Connor Woods that headed it down eventually when it came into the box, but it fell to Nile. But he didn't snatch at it. He sort of used the the uh, outside of his right foot through a crowded box um, into the into the bottom right away from the goalkeeper, and I think. If the goalkeeper might have got his fingers to it, but couldn't keep it out because it was well placed. Um, so it was it was a decent goal. Oh, it was. It was a really good goal. It was really well worked, and it was no no more than we deserved. And um, you know, Niall, he he has got a really good uh, four got goal scoring form. You know, ten goals now in eighteen appearances in all competitions. And um, I, I was a little bit surprised that he was one of the first players to be substituted because I thought he was one of our biggest threats. I thought him and Connor Woods actually had both had very good games. Um, you know, and I, I thought it, we might have left him on, but obviously um, Liam wanted to make it a, a slightly different shape. But but yeah, for, for me, I think he has been arguably our most impactful player this season. Okay, so moving on to the man of the match, uh, the club uh, gave it to Keenan Kwansar, um, who, as you, you've noted, that was uh, one of the better performers. Um, Port Chats, uh, it was Connor Woods that got it just ahead of Keenan. Are we all happily in agreement with that? Yeah, I, 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 I think Keenan Kwansar has been one of our best performers in since he's joined the club, and I actually think there's a lot more to come from him as well. Um, I did think Connor was very good. Those, those chances that we had in the last few minutes, there was one in particular where he, he beats his man um, and squared the ball across the area. This was in, in just just at the start of injury time, and um, it was it was um, it, it was really close to being tapped in at the far at the far post for by by Heath. Um, you know, he made a great, it wasn't his fault. He made a big effort, but it was just beyond him. Had that gone in, I, I think the police would have arrested us for grand larceny because we definitely didn't uh, didn't uh, deserve um, three points. As I said earlier, as I said, uh, um, I thought Jack Bainbridge had a good game as well. I, I vote for Keenan personally, but I take Connor Woods was was fantastic. He's that player that gives you a bit of gives a bit of excitement when the game was uh, was going a bit dull. I mean. I don't. I don't know what he did, um, but it was some sort of great skill move. I'm not. I'm not okay with all them. But yeah, honestly, it was, it was beautiful to watch. Keenan Kwanzaa is. I don't think I've watched him really have a bad game for us. I saw him at Banbury and he got sent off. He was still fantastic while he was on the pitch and quite unlucky to get sent off. Uh, he, he's been fantastic. He's been consistent all season. I think Hanson had quite a good game as well, and Bainbridge, as you mentioned. Yeah. But there were a few few decent standout performances. It was just obviously disappointing with. Uh, with the goal that we conceded realistically in the second half wasn't quite there, but yeah, uh, Connor Woods and Keenan uh, definitely stands out from uh, from that. I, I thought Connor, particularly in the second half, he was the he was the outlet. He was the outlet when when we did look to that, he was the one person who was looking to attack, who was looking to cause problems, draw fouls, you know, get us up the pitch. He, he was he was really the one who was looking to do that in the second half when we when we did come under pressure it was no ex, no surprise that when the, the ball got to him that was when we had our best moments in the second half so that all being said what uh, we were going to have a bit of a chat about kind of generally reviewing the year overall um has anyone got any kind of like what has been our standout 
and I'm not just talking about let's just not so let's just for a moment let's just put games aside really because I think what we want to talk about is is kind of like the impact that the clubs had in 2022 like where where are we in in, in that point because we we talk we review games we talk about the performances and obviously we can all say we can all pick a great performance that we've enjoyed this year or a great goal that we've we've seen in 2022 but but I think the more impactful conversation is is you know what have we what have we done where where are we at as a club well, this was sparked really, wasn't it, by Liam's com- comments on the on his post match, where uh, Joe asked Liam, you know, what he thought of twenty twenty two as a whole, and Liam's response was, "Well, we won a cup, sold a few players, and he's reasonably happy with where we are." And it, it made us all sort of think, "Well, how do we feel about the year?" And I think I am reasonably happy with where we are in terms of league position. Um, I feel like we are knocking on the door of the playoffs, so we've certainly got a squad that's capable of knocking on the door. I think we're a bit light in some areas. I think we've we still need to strengthen up top. I'm still not convinced that we've got the players we need to to make that final push. Um, yes, we won a county cup, but it is only a county cup at the end of the day. I know we joke about county cups and what have you, and whether or not they should be classed as first team games or not. But it's silverware at the end of the day. Yes, we got it. Um, selling players um, again, we've we've spoke about that. Um, we should applaud the fact that we are now a conveyor belt, a decent conveyor belt of players, uh, because it is a good thing for the club to have it, uh, in its arsenal the the ability to do that. We've got a good reputation now of doing it. We've got a track record of doing it, so we should be applauding it. And obviously, we've got another one potentially on the cards in January. But I am a little concerned about whether or not we're going to replace said player with adequate replacements in, in in the new year for us to make that push. And it, and it's the motives behind the sales as well. You know, it, it's great being a, you know, we've said this, being a, being a club that's been seen as a, as a stepping stone in your career, you know, you will send you on an upward trajectory, but what are, it's our motives as well as a club for, for making those sales. You know, you never want to hold someone back, but equally are we, um, you know, doing it to fill voids um, in in other in other areas. Um, you know, we, we, there's been a lot of talk in the last month or so of um, finances um, uh, pushing to you know bring in new sponsors, pushing stadium naming rights. So, so how do we feel we are um, stability wise, really? Because we come to the end of this year, do we do we feel safe? Do we feel stable? Do we feel like anything is really particularly? Um, changed massively um, since if we were to have this conversation let's say six years ago it's nice to have a season which doesn't so far seem to have been particularly uh, well year really that's not been particularly adversely affected by COVID after the couple of stop start years that we've had I do think that we're too a, a bit too thin in certain areas in the squad it's terrible what happened to Niall Bell and hopefully he can recover and he can um, make an impact at Southport. But the reality is the only time that we've replaced Marcus Carver is when we brought in Marcus Carver. And we don't look anywhere near as effective without that type of player. And so apart from when we got had Marcus back, which was brilliant. We, look we at the effect really... that Marcus had on Archer when Archer was playing. So I had right. a look at this the other day because we've commented a few times, haven't we, about Archer being out of form at the moment. He scored on the opening day, but then he went nearly two months before scoring again. And when Carver was back, he scored four whilst Carver was here. Yes. And he's only scored one more since. 
Mm. So he makes a massive difference to people around him when someone like Carver is playing. So I think we've massively missed that. Yeah, I I, I think that's obvious obvious to all. Um, I think you know I think we covered some of the the issues, the, the sort of the off pitch issues. Um, there have been some, you know, there have been quite a few new sponsors brought in. I know Liam in particular has done um, a lot of work to bring in new sponsors. Um, uh, and I know some of the vice presidents have done the same. But um, if, I'm, if I'm looking at it a little bit more with, with my heart rather than my head, there doesn't seem to be the same buzz around the place. There aren't the same, there isn't the same joy also, you know, a couple of years ago, in terms of, um, I just don't get that bounce, maybe. Um, and I, I can't put my finger on any one thing that causes that. Maybe it's because on the field, we've had a number of different, let's face it, disappointing seasons for a club of our size. You would expect a, a, a club that's just come down from the National League to be challenging to go back. Well, apart from a period last season when we went on a really good run and we're in around the playoff places before, admittedly, injuries did play their part, we've never really, up until maybe now, looked seriously like we're going to have something to play for other than the County Cups. And my fear is that unless we do reinforce the squad... It's going to be another missed opportunity. And at the end of the day, people want to watch teams that are successful and are in, are, are good to watch. I would say at times this year, we have been good to watch. We've already commented on that. But successful, I think we need to strike with the iron's hot here. No mention of the buzz around the place. When you look at clubs at a similar level to us, where there is a buzz around the place, there is a defined plan. Everyone's involved. Get on board. Here we go. Right. When you we, we've you know that's going on at Darlington, uh, Scarborough, a couple of places like that. Like this is the idea. We're, we're all going to buy into it. We're all going to get on board. And here we go. And we 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 don't have that. I think the other thing that has sucked a lot of the atmosphere around the place. Let's be honest and let's be blunt about it. Was was there's been a civil war in the boardroom several times now in the past couple of years. We had Charlie leaving, Treaders joining, Adrian joining, them leaving, Phil joining, Phil leaving. Um, and we're all aware of it. We're all aware that they were really difficult times for the club that we still probably haven't really recovered from yet. And then we had COVID for two years on the back of that as well. So, so... And, and again, it, it's I'm not having a pop at anyone, but I'm just having a look at our recent history and trying to wonder why that may be. In terms of like visibility, I, I went out for a drink yesterday, was at Southport Station, and there's a fixture board up for October's fixtures. You know, and this isn't new stuff. This is stuff that happened under Charlie as well. It was a common complaint that there were boards like that, you know, or stuff wasn't updated and this and that. It, it's a, a lot of it is, is we've got to get back to basics. You know things like that. We, we we we've talked about having a plan on here before. Um, we've mentioned it a couple of times. You know, I'm sure that deep down in the dungeons of the club, someone's getting on with something like that. But we, there needs to be supporters need to feel enfranchised. They need to feel like part of a journey. 
it needs to be a communal decision that we all make. Here's what we want. Here's how we're going to go about it. Here's what we're going to do. And here's how you can get involved. I'm not going to disagree on that at all. I 100% agree with you. But, but I am going to pick up on <laughs> one word that you used in there, which is COVID. And people have said it a few times and that we've been affected by COVID. So I wanted to have a look and see whether that's actually the case, whether financially it actually has been the case that we've been affected by COVID. So I dug out every single set of accounts that we've had as Pinewise Limited trading as Southport Football Club and now known as Southport Football Club Limited, going back to 1982, to have a look at what our financial results actually were. And there are only uh, four seasons where we made more money as a football club than we did last year in that whole time, 1993, 94, 95, and 1998. They are the only seasons in all that time where we've made more money than we did last year. In the, and that, So that was the financial year ending 2021. We made 82 grand. The year prior to that, we lost 30 grand, which is pretty typical for a lot of those seasons going back to the early 80s. The two seasons before that, which were not affected by COVID, which were 2018, year, financial year ending 2018 and financial year ending 2019, were absolute basket case seasons where we lost a million pounds in the first and half a million in the second. And that's completely unprecedented through any of our previous, uh, any of our trading years prior to that. It's completely unprecedented. So financially, on paper, the accounts don't reflect that COVID had that significant an impact on the football club because as a club, like many others, we took advantage of the schemes that were made available to us by the government to enable us to continue trading based on what we should have received. And also in that time, we've gone up from issued shares of being 600,000 up to two and a half million, which means that on paper, the club doesn't look anywhere near as attractive as it once did if you were to going to have a potential investor come in and want to want to purchase you because they've now got significantly more shares to actually to purchase so the question is really when you look at the phil hodgkinson era is did he leave behind infrastructure that is significantly better than what he started with to the point where those losses and that increased shareholding was worth it the bar maybe the bar maybe arguably i saw a couple of posts uh, on, a, on an old club YouTube video today from about two years ago. Uh, someone going, this is just after the main stand renovations. Like, well, you know, why haven't we done the, 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 the pop side up? Or why haven't we done any renovations to the away end and this and that? And while it was quite unpopular, Hayden used to say something that I thought was absolutely true and absolutely spot on. The ground may not be the prettiest facility in the world. It may not be the best facility in the world, but it is a perfectly working and functional football stadium. And to waste money doing the stadium up is a luxury that we can't afford, right? And that was the first thing that Phil Hodgkinson did. The first thing he did was spaff a load of money up the wall on yellow seats. Our attendances haven't improved because of it. We've not... Our community reach hasn't grown. You know, our commercial revenue hasn't grown. The bar, say, arguably, yes, I know that that's a very big change and we treat that very differently now. So the bar, fair enough. If you're going to say, do what, we're going to, we're going to renovate the internals of the stadium, that's fair enough. The, 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 I'm fine, and the, the, the roof needed a bit of, needed a repair or something like that. But the main stand renovation, I mean, it was a massive missed opportunity. I think if we'd put that money into the squad 
or, or, or you know, or we'd put it into the into the community arm, or, or we'd we'd we distrib- we if we just distributed that money better, we we could have be having a very different conversation. And actually, this brings us round to something that's been commented on on Port Chat uh, on, on the, in the last day or so. You're talking about um, the ability for supporters to be a critical friend. You know, the supporters trust trust in yellow. Um, has a shareholding in the in the club. It's a fairly significant shareholding. Okay, it's been watered down because of those um, shares and you know um, issued in the Phil Hodgkinson era. But it ha- it has a you know a right um, and its members have a right to um, attend AGMs that the club don't have to hold but should hold because if they want to engage their fan base and they want to engage their shareholders and they want to create uh, a, a conversation around the town about how good they're doing things and why they should should be the support the sports group in the town that you should get behind and they're doing all this work that they, they should have an AGM and have an opportunity for those shareholders which includes the fan base to go along and hear about the finances and, and ask these questions and, and then and maybe dispel some of these, um, you know, any any bad feeling or rumour, um, which is why, in my opinion, it's really important to have a democratic supporters organisation at the club. Um, and I think it's really important for people to come together and get that back on track because it is a uh, a solid vehicle for in two-way engagement. So not just for the fans to shout what they feel at the club, but also to have to have a conversation for the club to be able to engage with the fans as well. And I think it is, is vital. And I think it's something that we need to we need to come together on. The, the, the trust issue for us as a podcast is, is a difficult one. We spoke about this before around about how we were going to cover it. Um, it's difficult for a couple of reasons because there's a number of club volunteers in here. Uh, there's a former trust board member in here, um, and there may be things that um, either we can't talk about or we don't feel comfortable talking about. But we're certainly aware of the post today. Um, you know, and it's something we'll we'll certainly continue to look at. I think what I'd say about um, the supporters' trust and trust in yellow. When you look at what trust in yellow achieved. The support, the, uh, a, a large okay, a large section of our supporters wanted Charlie to go, and the trust played a fairly big role in that. Uh, a fair number of our supporters wanted um, Treaders and Shanley to go, and the trust was fairly influential in that too. A large amount of our supporters wanted Phil Hodgkinson in, and the trust was fairly influential in that. A, lot, a number of our supporters wanted a fan zone and the trust was certainly influential in getting that done. Now, I don't agree with all of those decisions, but they're certainly relevant to our recent history. And it shows how powerful the trust was. I, 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 when you look at what supporters' trusts up and down the country have previously achieved at other clubs and continue to achieve, there should be no question that it's beneficial for a group of supporters such as ourselves you say, I'll happily say, I, I don't know how much has been discussed or how much people know, but but my uh, nine to five job, if you, if you will, is I'm the uh, constitutional and governance training lead at the Football Supporters Association. And, and my main role is, is helping football supporters set up, 
community benefit societies, supporters trusts, and then training the boards of those trusts to operate in a uh, in a correct and efficient manner. So, you know, yeah, it is difficult because it, it kind of crosses into my day job. And, and, and there's a saying, and I was told it when I first started the job, and it is never more true than it is today. You will never be a prophet in your own land. Um, and none of my colleagues, none of us, um, uh, ever feel particularly um, listened to or happy uh, when it comes to our own um, supporters trusts um, it's just the way it is you, you kind of often can be you're too kind of ingrained in the in the uh, in the culture and the um, and you're too known by the fan base in a in a certain role rather than a, a professional one so yeah, but I, I am I certainly am and colleagues are, are on hand to help you know people out if, if they need help with with trusting yellow and getting it back operational it's to me it's never been more important and i think it's probably for one for another pod where we chat about some of the some of the work that supporters have done up and down the country um saving their clubs and and engaging the the community but but the role that we can have is is not just important for us as supporters but it's important for the club because again it's that whole thing you know you've got an ind- you're in an industry where you're your customers are screaming out not only what they want and you know what you could do better to to get them to give you know for them to give over their money but they're also offering their labor for free as well in a lot of cases so it, it it's it's so important for everyone concerned i i 100% agree with everything that both james and nicola have said on this matter um just a couple of things i would add from my own experience the membership of the trust was never uh, higher than during the, that period of turmoil, shall we say. And f- I think it's very important to stress that that was not only people who may have had one viewpoint. There were people who um, were pro-Charlie, who were uh, against Charlie, who were uh, uh, in support of James and Adrian, um, who were very pro Phil Hodgkinson and so on and so forth. But at that time, it was definitely recognised that by membership of a supporters' trust, there was an opportunity there to come together and make some um, a substantial representation to the powers that be at the football club, which if things are being done on a on an individual basis, cannot have the weighting that it would otherwise have. I do think it is very important for me to stress at this time that we should not confuse any of the involvement of trusting Yellow as an entity at that particular time and certain other organisations which were not supporters' trusts but because of the identity of many of the people behind those organisations, often their causes, their motives, their actions are conflated with the trust. Um, and I think that's a very important uh, distinction to make. Um, I, I 100% agree. I think there is definitely a place for um, a productive um positive and proactive there's three p's for your alliteration um group body which engages which forms as a body to a mechanism for meaningful engagement between the ownership of the football club and the fan base 
And at its at its at its highest, the membership of Trusting Yellow was probably you're talking about half of the people who regularly come and watch Southport Football Club. And if you've got that proportion of your regular fan base wanting to be involved, that can never be a bad thing. Yeah, like Noel says, that often crisis does increase engagement, and that's that's standard throughout sports trusts and you know across the land. But what the important thing is, and is that a society um, of supporters does exactly what we're asking the club maybe to do as well, to have a, a plan and a purpose and objects and say, this is what we want to do and this is what we're going to do and, and, and regularly engage with people and, and have and show its its worth basically as well. So away from those times of crisis, it still has a function and a, and a true purpose. And that's where you can then bring in all of those community benefits that it can it can do as well, bring, you know, linking with the community teams, linking with other community projects and partners and things like that. So there's just there's just so much potential reach. And I know I'm banging the drum because it's, you know, literally my job to bang the drum, but it's something I'm incredibly passionate about. And it was the passion for my own club here at Southport that that led me on the path to to be in this job, not not the other way around. You know, I was a passionate Southport supporter who saw the impact that sport engagement could have, and wanted to learn more. And then suddenly, I've ended up as it being a big part of my life. I think this this conversation we're having here. I mean, we're talking about you know our, our review essentially of 2022, looking ahead to 2023. And I think all of us here for 2023 are probably thinking. Um, We'd probably like to see the supporters' trust resurrected in in some form, and we'd like to see it back up and running. Because what we feel like we're missing is structured dialogue between a group of fans and the football club. The the very fact that I am looking at old historical documents is because I don't really feel like I know what's happening in terms of uh, the club. Uh, I'm I'm looking at. Uh, snatched comments that are made in interviews and things like that because there isn't that open dialogue. There's nothing that I've gone through here that is not in the public domain. All the, the financial information that I've pulled together and what have you is all publicly available. I'm just choosing to have a look at it because I want to know a bit more information. I, I've heard comments being made about COVID and I've thought, well, I want to go and have a look at what the real effect was. And I'm struggling to reconcile that. So having a supporters trust in place and back up and running in 2023 would be a great way to try and bridge that gap. And that's what my hope for next year would be. I think when we look back at 2022, it feels like we're probably, uh, we've got the stability on the pitch, but perhaps we've we've stagnated a little off the field. And the questions we've asked over the last few weeks in terms of where are we going are the result of that stagnation. And this feels like a really good place maybe in the conversation for us to kind of talk about the community um, sort of overview, the, uh, the community teams. Um, before we kind of like launch into what you've been up to, like actually, Noel, we talk about it each week and we talk about how the teams have all done and everything, but maybe give um, the listeners of the pod a little bit of an idea of like how it's set up, who it's run by and how it's sort of structured as well, because I think there's a, bit, a lot of people who don't quite understand that. Yeah, I think that's a very important point, Nicholas. So the community um, teams are run um, by, there is a committee, uh, which has been set up, um, which the club is part of. Um, there is club representation on that committee through Mark Lockyer, the club secretary, and also, it, or if he cannot attend, then St- uh, Steve Dusenip, uh attends as his proxy. But Mark and Steve represent the club on that committee, but the other members of that committee are myself, uh, Andy Lockyer, uh, uh, sorry, I, 
Andy Forster, who is the uh, secretary for the junior section, um, Martin Farrell, who's the treasurer, and Simon Bezik, who um, does a whole host of different things. Many people know Simon. He's one of the first team coaching staff, and it's just a really um, fantastic guy who does a whole lot in a lot of different um, capacities. But all those people are volunteers. Um, all the coaches are volunteers. All the helpers are volunteers. There's no funding comes from the club. Um into it all is is funded separately. The only other funding that we receive is gratefully the uh, funding through the lottery for the from the FPA, which is fantastic, and all the fundraisers, such as tournaments and things like that, which which take place. But um, you know, it, the, the the junior section is not funded by the club, um, and I think that's really important to to stress that. Um, all costs are um, are met through the the community section, um, uh, of which the women is is a part, um, and, and yeah, and that, so that committee has been um, growing and developing. We now have a large subcommittee. Uh, James is is a member of that he he's responsible for pitches. Uh, and there are other people responsible for other specific areas, but all these people are giving up their own time, often in addition to running their own teams. Um, and, and it's it's a huge labour of love, basically, to provide football for a lot of young boys, girls, men, and women. So, um, tell us a little bit about how the um, community arm has developed over the last year. Now, significantly, I think um, the the development over the last year has been exceptional uh, grown from 11 to 20 teams in the space of a year which I think you'd agree is a really strong development so the presently we cater for mixed teams from under 7 to under 13s we also have an under 16 boys team um, we are going to look to fill those gaps but um, that obviously our, our major um, priorities are sort of developing the under 7s every year and making sure that we're um, building for the teams for the future so we have that conveyor belt moving forward um our next uh major step and we've mentioned this already on the pod is a female football push we, we do have a women's team but we don't have any junior uh girls only teams we do have um girls who play within the mixed teams that we have in the junior section but we want to set up some uh female owned teams ideally what we want is that full pathway uh, male and female, right through from under sevens, right through to the older ages, so that people can, you know, keep with the club, keep developing, keep as part of the club, uh, and then those pathways are, are clear for them. Um, I say all, all the teams, um, you know, we, we've brought in quite a number of different sponsors, um, quite a lot of other supporters as well, and it's just growing uh, with time. Um, I think it's very important to state that this particular model of the way that the community teams are being run has only been running itself for a couple of years. So there's still a few teething troubles, but gradually it's growing, improving and developing. Um, and and we're grateful for the work of the club so far in supporting that um, because it can't work without it. And we're hoping really that those links are only going to grow and be strengthened over the years but I'd just like to say a big thank you to everyone associated with the junior teams, associated with the women's, associated with all the teams in the community arm um, for their hard work throughout the year the players, 
coaches, managers, secretaries, supporters, parents, grandparents, everyone who's involved because it takes a, an awful lot of work, an awful lot of support, uh, and we're growing something really good at the club. Um, and yes, so uh, we're looking forward to the next games, which will take place on the seventh and eighth of January. I um I joined as a I joined as a coach for the now under tens um about eighteen months ago, and and despite having supported the club since I was thirteen, never fully appreciated what a a significant arm of the club it is, and even in the eighteen months that I've been involved, the the growth of the community section has been absolutely remarkable. Bias, perhaps I think it's worth. I think Dan Hayes actually deserves a shout out because he helped yes, run the, run the so. setup for for a little while in a period of transition. Did a fantastic job. So he obviously worked with with Noel and um, and Andy, who's a great guy, um, heading up the section. And the, and as Noel says, there's just some there's just some brilliant people involved. It's 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 something that the club should be remarkably proud of. And and, and we've mentioned it before again. If anyone does want to get involved in pretty much any way that they can think of, um, do reach out and let us know because we we always need help or there's always something to do and there's always a way to contribute. I'm not going to mince my words here when I say this, but I believe personally that the community arm of the club should be just as important to the board of the football club as the first team is because to me, it is the club. It is what the club yeah. is all about. As a bit of background, I know, James, you gave me a bit of a shout, but I want to go even further back than that. The reason this we have a junior section at all is because of one person, that's Chris Bormber, and he kept the junior flag flying at Southport since from the year 2000 up until uh, 2017, something like that. And he, he pretty much did that on his own until about 2013 when I got involved, maybe 2012, and started when, when it kind of became obvious that it had got to the point where it was so much bigger than one person could handle. Uh, and I stepped in to help him. And um, I only gave gave up last year. Chris it, it no longer does it, but he needs a, a huge pat on Agreed. the back for the fact Agreed. we've got a section at all. Yeah, 100% agree on that. There's so many people who played a really positive part, but you know, it, it all started with Chris and everything that he's done for sure. I think one of I think one of the things worth worth mentioning, I talked about it on the forum before, because I think it's easy to misunderstand what the point of, of some of our youth teams are. Um, because I think I expected that like the South FC under tens was part of, of a player pathway to the first team. And it took me quite a while to realise that what we're actually doing with the youth teams, especially, and with with all, with most of our community teams, I know the 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 women's set is probably a bit different. Noel could maybe go into a bit more detail, but any kid in the local area who wants to play football should have a place to do so. So when I go and coach my under tens, we're not doing it necessarily to um, you know to to, to push them up. Well, of course, we want to we want to you know, improve them as footballers, but we want to give them a safe and secure environment and a fun environment where they can go and play football, where they can they can learn how to compete properly. Um, and it's 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 been one of the most satisfying roles I've ever had. Um, I, I'm I'm grateful that I walked into a team with a with an excellent coach. Um, some of you may know Martin Farrell, who who I just think is an absolutely brilliant guy. 
Um, we've got a really good squad. We're, we're very fortunate to have great parents. We get great support from the club, um, you know, both the, the community committee and the parent club. Um, and I found it a really satisfying role. Um, and so, so to go back to it, it's it's something that the club should be very proud of. When Absolutely. I came on board, um, one of the things that I identified, and I'll give credit to Langshire FA first for drilling this into people, is that at a grassroots football club, the important thing is to make sure that kids fall in love with football. So I recognised very early on, as James said, that the, the assumption is that this is a pathway of player development into the first team. And it's not. That's what academies are for. This is a grassroots setup. The, the idea of this is to try and develop the supporters of the future, the people who will turn who turn into the volunteers of the future, the, whether they're kids, whether they're the parents. I, I didn't want anybody's ex- first experience of Southport Football Club to be told that you're not needed, you're not wanted, or you're not good enough. So we made it very clear very early on that anybody is welcome to play kids' football at Southport, whether you're good, whether you're bad, whether you're ugly. It didn't make any difference whether you're a girl, whether you're a boy, anything you're all welcome to play because Southport Football Club should be an inclusive environment for anybody. Because like I say, the whole point is that you are trying to develop the supporters of the future and it is a wide base to start from. So even if you only end up with 10% of the people who are involved at the very start, still involved at the very end, where you've got still got a, a huge number of supporters that you've kept on for, for the future and potential volunteers, et cetera, et cetera. Just before we wind up on the... Um community teams. Noel, just could give us a little review of uh, the women's year? Yeah, um, a reasonable story. Last year was a very poor year. Um, impacted by COVID, having to play a lot of games in a very short period of time, and uh, we were in a very difficult position. But I think it's to, to say after a reasonable start to the year uh, in uh, January, February, March and April were poor. and it, it, We'd left ourselves too much to do in terms of the league. Um in terms of wanting to be um, avoid relegation, and um, it wasn't a surprise when that relegation was confirmed. Um, we lost a few players, I think at six in the end, one of whom has been rejo- uh, since rejoined us. But if any of them are listening, I thank them all for their efforts in that season, but also in others. Um, they, I think it's important, particularly at that adult level. You mentioned the difference there, James, to the adult level. All those players who play for the women's, they, they give up their time, they give up money. Um, you know, they could be working, they could be earning when they play, and they give up a lot and they travel all around the northwest to play for the club. And I think uh, we shouldn't forget that. Um, but we had a good pre season, recruited well, and as a result, this season's gone really, really well so far. We haven't lost in the league since the first game of the season, and our only other defeats, uh, during this, uh, this season so far have been against teams in higher divisions in the League Cup competition. Uh, We're currently third in the league, two points behind first with four games in hand and one behind second with two games in hand. So it is literally all in our own hands to deal with that. Um, We're also through to the last eight of the Lancashire County Cup and the last 16 of the Liverpool County Cup. Um, So And we'll play those games in... uh, in January, the next uh, games in the competition. So strong position, but there's still lots of hard work to be done. And I just want to thank all the players, all the supporters, uh, all the families, everyone who's who's helped throughout the season. Um, it, it really does make a big difference to, to all the players and to myself. Um, all of the stats and all the fixtures are now actually on the Southport website. I was able to uh, get those sorted. So they're on the uh, on the Southport website now as of this week. Uh, but up-to-date information is available um, 
via Facebook and, and Twitter. Um, and our next game is with the same as with the junior teams. It's uh, the first full weekend in January. So our, it's the Sunday, the 8th of January. And it's the first of three home games. We haven't had a lot of home games recently. So our first home uh, league home game in a while. We're playing Older, who we've played tw- uh, three times already this season and, and won all three, but um, always a tough opposition. Uh, and that'll be two o'clock kickoff at, at Holsall Memorial Ground. It'd be lovely to see some people up there uh, to support the girls and probably give me some abuse as well. Right, so this is the part where we'd usually do our next match preview, but obviously we've just played Curzon, so don't think we need to go into too much other than to say we are not wearing yellow um, on Monday. We are wearing blue because uh, on Boxing Day we um, there was a no home shirt uh, campaign raising money for shelter, uh, so obviously we wore yellow there, so we're going to be wearing our away shirts on Monday. Sounds complicated. It's not. Bear with us. You'll know who we are. Um, so, I tell you what, let's just jump in, go with some predictions, um, starting with Noel. What do you reckon the score will be? I, I, I'm, I'm hoping, for first and foremost, for a better performance. If we don't put a better performance in, I think we would definitely uh, run the risk of, of losing. But um, I think we'll get a response. I think it'll be a 2-1 home win. Uh, yeah, similar to what Noel said, really. But I think it'll be another draw, a bit more exciting, 2-2. I, I predict football probably won't be the winner. Uh, I think it's about time we got a win. I'm going to go 1-0. Uh, I'm going to go 6-0 home win. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going big. The delusion is strong in the toffee. Um, and I'm going to say, do you know what? I'm going to say a 1-0 victory to Southport. Uh, Dan, I've got the, us- the usual uh, info for a home yeah, match. The, the usual home game info. Obviously, there is a cash turnstile as well as you've been able to buy tickets on the website. Usual Lord's Deli stuff. We don't know if there's a happy hour or not. That's a question. Um, I know, I think the trains are on because it's the second, not the first. Um, but apart from that, you're all good. Plus, if you um, do want to check out the um, hospitality, uh, you can do that, can't you, Dan? Yeah, it's £30 upgrade if you wanted to upgrade to hospitality. Uh, Obviously, uh, you get a two-course meal before the game, uh, a printed programme and team sheet. Uh, The best seats in the house on the main stand. Uh, You get half-time tea and coffee. You get to watch the Man of the Match presentation in the bar after the game. Excellent. Um, and we've also got a game against Peterborough Sports on the 7th. Shall we have a quick whiz through? We've, have we met them before? Well, How many we times have. have we met them before? We've only met them once. It so, didn't yeah, go we, well. We, it didn't <laughs> go well yeah. after the first minute. It didn't go well, but yeah, we have only met them once. So there's not a great deal we can talk about, really. So a, a tiny bit of background about them. Um, it's a, a new club for us, but the club itself was established back in 1908. We were originally called Brotherhood's Engineering Works, and it was just a factory team. Um, they, you, if you look at the club's badge today, they've still got a turbine engine in the badge, which uh, and the nickname yeah. is the turbines to represent that that's the you know that's what they made in the factories. Um, it, they kept that name until 1999 when they changed to Bearings Direct, and then it was only in 2001 they became Peterborough Sports. Didn't even enter the Northern Premier League until 2017-18, and then when Step Four was added for 2018-19, they were moved into the Southern League and they played in Division One Central and they won it at the first attempt. 
getting up to the Premier Division Central, and then they finish as runners-up in 2021-22, qualifying for promotion via the playoffs. And that's obviously when they metals this season. Uh, and like I say, it didn't go well in the, the, the one occasion we've met them before, which is back in August, we lost 3-0 at home in front of 829. Can we get there, though? That's the problem. Uh, unfortunately, there is a train strike, so it's a bit tricky to get there. Uh, but it's And it's quite a long drive as well, so... Fair play if you are going down to Peterborough. If you are uh, looking to go, I don't think you can buy a ticket online. I think you should pay on the day. Uh, it's £14 for adults, £10 if you fit into sort of the concession category or sort of like a... And £5 if you're under 17 or a student. Uh, that's what I got off their Twitter, which I had to search through their tweets because they didn't have it on the website or anything like that. Or Mike did, actually, because I couldn't find it. I was blind. Yeah, give us the credit. Cheers, nice one. No, I'll do your job um, for you. Predictions for a Peterborough. Uh, Noel, start with you. I think this is going to be a toughie. Um, uh, they did lose their last home game at home to Kettering uh, 2-1 uh, in the Boxing Day uh, Bonanza. But um, I think it's going to be a tough one. Um, but I'm feeling positive, as I always am. I'm going to go for a one-all draw. Okay. I think that the good train workers of this nation will secure a fair pay deal. Uh, this one, footballogy is going to be the real winner on this one because it's a new ground ticked <laughs> off. And I'm also going to be positive on our score. So Peterborough Sports 2, Southport 4. Bond. Uh, I'm going to go for a 1-0 Southport win just because I think it's going to be dire. But I think we'll poke it near the end. I'm I'm going to match Noel, I think, one all. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm going with you two. One or one all, one all draw on that one. Oh, we'll see what happens. Well, that's 2022 done and dusted. It's been a pleasure, as always. So let's get behind the team and sing in the new year. Come on, you yellows. Here we are.